dead. Jesus say today, yes, I'm in the glory land way. You know that I'm in the glory land, glory land way. I'm in the glory land way. Uh, heaven is nearer and the way grow it clearer for. I'm in the glory land way. You know that I'm in land, glory land way. I'm in the glory land way. Heaven is narrow and the way grow it clearer for. I'm in the glory land way. I listen to the call, the gospel call today. Get in the glory land way. Uh, wonders come home, oh, hasten to obey, for I'm in the glory land way. You know that I'm in the glory land, glory land way. I'm in the glory land way. Heaven is near, oh, and the way grow it clearer for I'm in the glory land way. You know that I'm in the glory land, glory land way. I'm in the glory land way. Uh, heaven is near, oh, and the way grow it clearer for. I'm in the glory land way. Uh, onward I go, rejoicing in his love. <clears throat> I'm in the glory land way. Soon I shall see him in that home above. Oh, I'm in the glory land way. You know that I'm in the glory land, glory land way. I'm in the glory land way. Heaven is near, oh, and the way grow it clearer for. I'm in the glory land way. You know that I'm in the glory land, glory land way. I'm in the glory land way. Uh, heaven is near, oh, and the way grow it clearer for. I'm in the glory land way. Amen. Let us know, pages 500. 74. <clears throat> oh, how I love Jesus. Pages 574. We all found that a scene together. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing his word, it sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth, we're singing now, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. It tells me of a Savior's love who died to set me free. It tells me of his precious blood, 
the sinner's perfect plea. We're singing now, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. It tells the ones who love in heart can feel my deepest woe, who in each sorrow's bears a part that none can bear below. We're singing now, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first Love me, we're singing now. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Amen. Let us know page 674. Page 674. I have decided to follow Jesus. Page 674. We've all found that scene together. <clears throat> I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Uh, no turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. Uh, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back, no turning back. Church, let us know pages 753. Following our next song selection, we'll have scripture reading and prayer. <clears throat> Father alone. Fall fine, let us sing together. Tempted and tried, we're off made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. Why there are 
living about us never molested though in the wrong father alone will know all about it you know father alone will understand why so cheer up my brother live in the sunshine will understand it all by and by faithful till death say I love him master a few more days to labor and wait cause of the road will seem as nothing as we sweep through the beautiful gate father alone will know all about it you know father alone will understand why so cheer up my brother live in the sunshine will understand it all by and by when we see Jesus coming in glory when we come from the home in the sky then we shall meet him in that bright mansion, uh, we'll understand it all by and by. Father alone will know all about it. You know, Father alone will understand why. So cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine, we'll understand it all by and by. Amen. Good morning, church. This morning's scripture reading will be taken from the 96th Division of Psalms. Psalms, the 96th division, verses 1 through 9. Once again, that's Psalms, the 96th division, verses 1 through 9. And it reads, O sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord. Bless his name. Show forth his salvation 
from day to day. Verse 3. Declare his glory among the heathens, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Verse 7. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Verse 9. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. May the Lord add a blessing to the readers, the hearers, and the doers of his holy word. Let us bow and go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Our Father and our God, which are in heaven, Heavenly Father, we come with our head bowed to the earth, with thanksgiving in our heart, thanking you for so many blessings you have blessed us with. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for waking us up this morning with a reasonable portion of our health and our strength and clothing our right mind. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for giving us this privilege to assemble together and to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for the one that is present, and we pray, Heavenly Father, for the one that had the desire to be here, but for some reason wasn't able to be. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for the prayers that you have answered in the past, and we just pray, Heavenly Father, you will continue answering them in the future. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for pulling us out of darkness and bringing us into your marvelous light. Most of all, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace, your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who freely left his home in glory, came to earth, lived, died, and was buried, and rose again on the third day, according to the scripture. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for the blood that he shed that he purchased the church that we are a member of. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for providing us with food, clothes, shelter, transportation, and financial means. We pray, Heavenly Father, for each and every member here at the church, Inglewood Church of Christ. We just pray, Heavenly Father, you will look down on us and bless us with the thing, Heavenly Father, you know we stand in need of according to your will. We also pray, Heavenly Father, that your will will be done here on earth as it is done in heaven. We pray, Heavenly Father, for the ones that's working on the front line. We just pray, Heavenly Father, you will look down on them, keep them safe, and bless them with the thing, Heavenly Father, you know they stand in need of according to your will. We pray, Heavenly Father, for the sick and the shut-in all over the world. We just pray, Heavenly Father, you would look down on them and bless them with the thing, Heavenly Father, you know 
they stand in need of according to your will. We pray, Heavenly Father, for the ones that's traveling. We pray, Heavenly Father, they'll get to and from their destination safe without any hurt, harm, or danger coming to them. We also pray, Heavenly Father, for the bereaved family all over the world. We just pray, Heavenly Father, you would look down and comfort and strengthen those families in the way, Heavenly Father, that only you know how. And Heavenly Father, when we think, say, or do anything contrary to your word, we pray, Heavenly Father, you will forgive us and won't hold it against us at the judgment, Father. We also pray, Heavenly Father, you will continue strengthening us where we are weak and build us up, Heavenly Father, where we are torn down. And we say a special prayer for the new convert. And we say a special prayer for the Deluna family. We just pray, Heavenly Father, you will look down and strengthen them, Heavenly Father, in the way that you know how. And we just pray, Heavenly Father, that we will continue loving each other more and more each day. And we just pray, Heavenly Father, we will become and be better Christians today than we were yesterday. And Heavenly Father, we pray a special prayer for Brother Cole Pepper as he come bring us the bread of life. We just pray, Heavenly Father, we will listen as though we will listen toward eternity, because these will be eternal matters he will be delivering unto us. And not only just hearers and listeners of your word, Heavenly Father, but also doers of your word. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that this worship service will be done decent and in order, and we pray, Heavenly Father, it will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And Heavenly Father, when we done come to the end of our journey, said our last prayer, and taken our last breath. We just pray, Heavenly Father, we'll hear those wonderful words. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Come on in, get your mansion, and your robe, and your crown. All these blessings we ask in your Son, and our Savior, Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Church, I'm going to ask you to place your markers at pages 904 for the Song of Invitation. Pages 904 for the Song of Invitation. And for our next song selection, let us know pages 877. Won't it be wonderful there? <clears throat> Once again, pages 877. Fall fine, let us sing together. When with the Savior we enter the glory land, won't it be wonderful there? And in the troubles and cares of the story land, won't it be wonderful there? Oh, church, now, won't it be wonderful, wonderful there? Having no burdens to bear over there, joyously singing with heart bells all ringing, oh, won't it be wonderful there? Oh, church, now, won't it be wonderful, wonderful there? Having no burdens to bear over there, joyously singing with heart bells all ringing, oh, won't it be wonderful there? Walking and talking with Christ the Subnernal One, won't it be wonderful 
song that says having no burdens to bear and we have a lot of burdens down here to bear but I'm glad we have the Lord where we can cast our burdens upon him and he'll able to enable us to carry our own but he has certainly said that we will have peace and rest unto our souls we are certainly thankful to God that he has blessed us to be able to be here this morning uh, this is a, another wonderful Lord's Day morning and God just continues to bless us every day now here that there may be even opportunities to uh, to return to the building and uh, more often and have fellowship again and so we'll talk more about that later but we're just so thankful to God that uh, I believe he heard our prayers uh, when the beginning of this whole uh, uh, pandemic began we we went to the Lord in prayer uh, and asked him to have mercy uh, to have grace placed upon those who needed grace and mercy upon those who needed mercy God has sustained us uh, through all this time. And I believe even in spite of ourselves, God still sustained us. And so I'm just so thankful to God that we're able to be in his worship this morning uh, and give him that praise and that honor and glory that he is certainly due and worthy of. I want to call your attention very quickly to the, uh, to the book of Psalm as we uh, has, have read in our hearing this morning. I uh, just want to point out, if you will, one of the uh, passages of scripture that uh, we will uh, launch from, if you will, when it comes to this uh, discussion this morning. Uh, we've, uh, 
I believe, had a, uh, a wonderful opening discussion about the, uh, the testimony of our conscience, um, as well as it pertains to the, uh, the tabernacle and the church, uh, the kingdom, uh, and the temple, and within it all, the core competency and the core focus being the covenant. We've been talking about Noah and him being in the ark with now his family, the other seven souls. They are now in that construct that God has designed. Uh, Noah has built. God has placed them in it. Uh, and the door is now closed. The ark is now buoyed upon the floodwaters of that uh, that time period where the world has been judged. But God, in his wisdom, saved those eight souls. That includes Noah. And Noah is a preacher of righteousness. Um, in his at least 120 years of proclaiming uh, the righteousness of God, uh, Noah was able to uh, save his family, his inner circle, if you will, uh, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their wives, and his wife, uh, were being preserved in the ark. I'm going to say that again. They were being preserved in the ark. Um, and so we find ourselves, and as David would remind us in his beautiful psalm, in Psalm 96. Uh, David would, uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, give us words concerning how we and how they, and how all who look to God for strength need to lift up their voice in praise unto him. In Psalm 96, David says, Oh, sing unto the Lord. You know, I, we, we've often said when, when you wake up each morning, you, you ought to have a song on your, on your lips for the Lord. God has done so much for you. We, we, we ought to be able to say something good about God each day. And so David said, Oh, sing unto the Lord a, a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Amen. All the earth. Now David goes on and says, we, when we sing unto the Lord, we, we, we bless his name, show forth his salvation from day to day, Amen. declare his glory among the heathen and uh, the, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. I wonder if that is why we find in the Hebrew text when Jesus says, I will uh, sing in the midst of the church. He said, I will give them, I will sing unto him, and, and with him I will sing unto him, and that, and that praise will be the, the sacrifice uh, of my lips. He would praise the Lord. He would sing unto the Lord. And we'll do that, and we'll do that in the midst of his worship. He goes on and says that, that for the Lord is great and he's greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. You may notice that in this uh, passage of scripture, 
Gods is in the lowercase g. G-O-D-S, the plurality of these gods are gods that are clearly being identified as gods that are really no gods. But yet he still says he is feared above all those no gods, if you will. For all the gods, once again, lowercase g-o-d-s, of the nations are idols, and that's what he meant. They, they're really false. They don't have the power of our God. Uh, but the Lord made heavens, the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Now, I wanted to come there because um, sometimes we, 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 we look at the church and we look at the, 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 the tabernacle that we'll get to shortly, and, uh, and we look at the, the temple, the stationary uh, building that Solomon was uh, able to build, not David, but nevertheless, um, the church eventually, through the dispensation of Christianity, by the beginning of Christ, gives us the church, the spiritual kingdom of God. But nevertheless, we see here that he refers, if you will, in Psalm, David does, he says, honor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his, are in his sanctuary. Amen. Now, I want you to understand something. That the ark, for Noah and the other seven souls, eight in total, is a sanctuary. It is the place where holiness, grace, mercy, strength, guidance, love, Faith, hope can be found. It is in God's sanctuary where these attributes of man, these attributes that are accessible to man can be, can be, can be found because they are provided by God. It is in God's sanctuary. David would go on and says, give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship, David says, the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. David refers to something that is not often spoken about these days. When it comes to the idea of fearing the Lord, David is not saying these things that we should be somehow afraid of God as we would be afraid of a thief or a robber, uh, if you will. Someone who uh, may be trying to take our physical lives. Not, not that kind of fear, but a fear of reverence. Amen. A fear of reverence, knowing that the, the, the God in heaven 
uh, that we serve is a good God. And he's a, he's a God that is, if you will, uh, uh, one who keeps promises and one who's able to sustain us in the midst of our earthly battles of life. He is, he is that God and it is that fear of reverence that, Noah, that uh, David refers to. And it is that fear that God, if you will, desires of each of us when we come into his sanctuary. It is a fear of reverence. It is a fear of reverence. And when we have that consciousness in our minds, that fear of reverence, when we have that consciousness of mind, that fear of reverence, let me tell you something. You would want to do nothing more than that which God has commanded to be done in his sanctuary. Because you have that fear of reverence. Now, we talk about this many times, and we talk about Leviticus chapter 10, and we, we talk about how Nadab, Nadab and Abihu went into the temple. They went into the, 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 the sanctuary of God. They walked in, and, and they began to give strange sacrifices. They began to worship in a way that God did not, if you will, uh, command to be done, nor did God desire that type of worship. They offered strange fire. And strange in that text is not to be considered in the uh, same idea of something that is mysterious or unknown. Surely God understood what type of fire was being offered. The idea of the strange fire is to get us to understand that they offered something that God did not command to be offered. In worship. And so thus we see not a fear of reverence, but an attitude and a morality that discounted where they were. Surely if death was so imminent as it was in the Old Testament, in the same way today, if death was as imminent when God, when someone did something that was contrary to God's word, when, when someone broke the law, uh, if you will, even Moses said that they died, if you will, in front of two or three witnesses when they uh, uh, did that which was not according to God's word. Even the priest, when he went into the holies of holies, if he had not, if you will, prepared himself to enter into the holies of holies, they had to drag him out by a rope because he was not ready to stand before God in God's sanctuary. Because God's house, God's tabernacle, God's temple, God's church, God's ark is a sanctuary. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 1, Paul writes to the church, to the Hebrews, the diaspora, those who are scattered abroad. And he expounds on this idea of the sanctuary as David spoke about in the psalm. But in Hebrews 9, in verse number 1, Paul writes unto the Hebrews, and he says unto them, Then truly, or verily, then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Amen. Paul lets us know that all the things that were before the church, the ark, that structure, the, the tabernacle, 
that structure or construct, the temple, that construct, that were all tied together by the covenant, were evolving to become that which is actually a spiritual sanctuary, which would be the church. Amen. And, and, and that's so important because, remember, the ark was a physical structure. Amen. The tabernacle was a physical structure. The temple was a physical structure. But the church is a spiritual structure. This building is not the church. These pews and pillars, this wood and brick, this light, these lights and the electricity, these, these constructs, of, if you will, of this world make up a structure, a building, but this building is not the church. We are the church, a spiritual kingdom, God's spiritual house. But even as the ordinances of the old, as Paul refers to the, the ordinances of the divine service and and of the worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the shoe bread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiness, or the holiest rather, of all where God dwelled, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant, Overlaid round about the gold with gold, with, within was the golden pot, and, and that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. Let me be clear here that God, if you will, took what was called the, the, the idea of the ark, and where Noah and, and the souls, if you will, the eight, seven souls dwelt in that sanctuary called the ark here. In this, it, it, there, in this text here, the ark is, is, a, is a small uh, construction, if you will, that, if, that God had uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the Levites to build and to design so that when they placed it in the holiness, holiest of all, or the holies of holies, when they placed it there, on top of that ark, that small construct, there was the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat, there is where the high priest would go and offer, if you will, the sacrifices of the people. That ark is not the same ark, but it has the same construct in that it is where God dwells. It's where God dwells. Where that ark was in the holiest of holies, God dwelt there. He would come down, if you will, from heaven's glory. The Old Testament gives us a, the Hebrew word of the Shekinah, the presence of God, the cloud, the fog that would consume and fill the entire compartment. But nevertheless, Mo, uh, Paul continues to write, if you will, it contained the covenant, even even that ark in the holiest of all contained the covenant. And that covenant would forever be the relationship builder between God and man. I remember, if you will, in the, the days of, uh, of the king, we find where, uh, where the young king took over and, and, and no one knew where the covenant was. They, they forgot the book. 
that God had given. Amen. And, and the, the priests were rebuilding the temple and they were uh, redesigning and putting the temple back together after it had been destroyed by war. But nevertheless, they had put the temple back together. Somebody in the, in the, in the insanity of their mind had even shut up the temple and, and locked the doors and people, the high priest couldn't go in. Uh, to the temple. They had forgotten about God, but nevertheless, we find in that story where the, the, the priests were uh, 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 re- uh, putting the temple back together, and, and, and they came across the book. They came across the covenant, and they ran to the king, and they said, we found this book, and we, we found it in the Lord's house. Let me tell you something. It's always good to run to the sanctuary of God and to be in the sanctuary of God. Because there's one thing that you should be able to count on when you come to the sanctuary of God. And that is, you should be able to find the book in the Lord's house. Because that's what binds us in our relationship to God and he with us. As I move forward in verse number 5 in Hebrews 9 and 5. And he says, and over it, the cherubim of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Let me tell you something. The holies of holies was it contained with was the sanctuary, if you will, that 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 contained the presence of God, the ark was the sanctuary that contained the presence of God. The structure of the temple had the sanctuary that contained the presence of God. And surely the church should be able to contain the presence of God. When we come to worship, it's not about us. It's about the Lord. We come into his sanctuary. We come into his house. And we come into his sanctuary in his, in his house having a need. And the, and the need that we all come into his house with is a need to be blessed by God. Amen. Amen. Surely, surely knowing that we're coming into his sanctuary, into his house, with the need of being blessed, we ought to be able to have a song on our lips. To give God glory, honor, to sing praises about his strength and what he has done. Paul would go on as he describes the the sanctuary. In verse number eight, he would say, the Holy Ghost, this signifying. That the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which we offer there were in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices. That could not make him that did the service perfect, as pertaining to the conscience. You may have been wondering 
why we titled this series of sermons about the testimony of our conscience. As you look at the evolution of the construct of the, of the sanctuary that God designed beginning with Noah, and then with Moses, and then with Solomon, and then through his son Jesus, which is Christ, which is the church. It is clear that these types were moving man in a direction that would bring him back to God. But it wasn't the structure alone that could accomplish such a great task. You see, you can put a man in the boat. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the man will appreciate the boat that he is in. The priests, as we use Nadab and Abihu, could walk into the sanctuary and the temple. But look what they did. You see, the construct of the church should never be focused on the building in, in and of itself. Because when you're looking at the building, you're missing the point. It's not about you just being in the church. The question is whether or not the church is in you. That, that's the question. The blessing of being the spiritual kingdom of God, being the spiritual sanctuary of God. This building loses its this structure, if you will, loses all its significance because wherever the people go, the church is there. Because the church isn't external of us, the church is us. And so wherever we would go, we would seek to worship God in spirit, and in truth. And that's why those things that were before were leading the people, the, 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 those who would continue to seek God, would, was leading them and moving them in the direction where their conscience would change and evolve. It was about them reverencing God and believing in who God is beyond the material things. But to know that God was desiring to save something that the world could never save, and that is their soul. You see, the physician can repair bones. The optometrists could help us see better by creating glasses. The dentist may be able to put teeth in our mouths. But when it comes to the saving of the soul, only God can provide the necessary medicine for that. And that is not found in the wisdom of man. That is only found in the wisdom of God. You see, the world can break my physical heart. 
The world can cause stress on my physical mind. The world could harm this physical body in many ways and in, 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 in very de- various degrees, but only God can heal my soul. So when we talk about the sanctuary, let us not get caught up in our arrogance and think that our analogies that are so far beyond what the sanctuary actually is could ever really represent what it means to say, I'm coming to be in God's sanctuary. We used to say that the church is God's hospital. Now, that may be an analogy that would help our minds be able to relate to what, is real, to what is important about being here and being present. But let me tell you something. It's far below what God's sanctuary really is. Because I can come here and be in the midst of the church, God's sanctuary, and be brokenhearted. Because of whatever calamities may have taken place and transpired in the world. I can come here in that condition and with that disposition. But when I'm in the presence of the Lord and hearing the teachings of God's word, I can come here broken hearted, but I can leave here with joy. Because my soul has been has been comforted. Now I may still have to go out there and deal with with what broke my heart. But I'm dealing with it with a strong countenance and conscience because I've been in the Lord's sanctuary. The house of God is much more than what the world would want you to believe that it is. People build big buildings, elaborate, beautiful, gold and silver, stained glass windows. Put a steeple or a cross at the top of it. Light it up. So you can see it for miles. But I stopped by this morning to tell you, it's not that building that's going to save your soul. It's whether or not the building is in you. Paul would go on in his discussion in Hebrews 9 about the sanctuary. And in verse number nine, he says, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and and carnal ordinances imposed upon them until the time of reformation. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect, look what he says, 
tabernacle. So now we have him showing that the sanctuary and the tabernacle are synonymous. They are one, if you will, in terms of the idea construct and the, uh, of the same. So now since you see the connection, the, the ark, if you will, being God's construct, the tabernacle being God's construct, the temple being God's construct, the church being the spiritual manifestation of God's ultimate goal. And you see that all of these things make up what God wants us to understand to be the sanctuary. Because in each of them is where God dwells. It is where God has placed his name. In verse number 11, he would go on and says, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood. I'm sorry, verse number 11. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his blood, by his own blood. He entered into winter once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats, uh, of the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling and unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the internal, eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It's about the change of our minds to be devout, to become Christians, to become holy, if you will, to, 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 to serve God in sincerity, which is to serve him in spirit and in truth. It means that our conscience must change. It must change from that which is carnal to that which is spiritual. Amen. Noah was in that ark with the other seven souls. But it wasn't just because God, without reason, placed them in that ark. But remember that God said, That men began when God gave Eve another son. Men began to turn back to God. They began to worship God again. Because their conscience had become wicked and evil continually. When God destroyed the world. God would not allow that conscience to continue. So God, if you will, he, he took those, if you will, that, that, that turned to him through the preaching of the covenant, to the, through, uh, through the preaching of the righteousness of God. They, they turned to God, and by turning to God, God made his covenant with Noah and placed Noah in the ark. And this is why. We see the, 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 the blessing of the ark, if you will, uh, uh, being, being saved by God. 
in the midst of the flood, in the midst of the rain falling for 40 days and 40 nights. And no matter what the issues may have been, that ark was, that ark was sustained because in the ark, God was preserving them. Why is that so important? Because let me tell you something. No matter what happens in this world, the church is being buoyed up by God. God's people are being buoyed up by him. He's strengthening them to get through the hard times and to enjoy, if you will, the good times and to give him praise at all times so that when God comes back, he's going to receive the church, a glorious church, without spot, wrinkle, or blemish or any such thing. Because the church will will consist of those who kept his covenant. Who kept his covenant? In verse number 15, in Hebrews 9, 15, and I'll leave here in a moment. But in Hebrews 9 and 15, it says, and for this cause, he is the mediator, that is Christ, of the New Testament, which is the new covenant. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which, uh, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of a necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth, whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats, with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people. He sprinkled the book, Lord have mercy, and all the people. He sprinkled the covenant and all the people. And he sprinkled both of them with the innocent blood, he, 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 he sprinkled both of them because by sprinkling the covenant with the innocent blood and the people with the innocent blood, it showed the union between them and God's word. Lord have mercy. When we talk about going down in the watery grave of baptism, which we must which we must, because without the watery grave of baptism, there is no connection with you to the blood. It is through the watery grave of baptism that Ephesians 1 and 7 says we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin by the washing and the water of the blood is in the Ephesian text. He helps us understand that through the washing of the water by the blood, we are connected to God's blood and we are being sprinkled, if you will, in that sense, the spiritual sense of being covered in God's blood. We have been dipped into the word of God, into in God's blood. And by being dipped into that blood, we now have connection to the covenant. That is the importance of the relationship, the spiritual relationship. And that's why Peter said it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but it's an answer of a good conscience toward God. Because that conscience is recognized 
that the most important relationship in the world is the one that we have with God. And the only way you can have that relationship is through his covenant. I'm going to end here in, in Hebrews uh, for this thought. Paul writes in Hebrews 9 and verse number 20, saying, this is the blood of the testament, which God hath enjoined unto you. I want you to see, which God has enjoined unto you. Well, I, I could spend a lot of time here, but I'm just going to make this one point. That's why we need to understand. Someone says, well, Brother Culpepper, in, in, in my belief system, in our religious belief system, we, we, are, we are voted on to become in, uh, in the church. And, and, and that's how we become members of, you, you, let me tell you something. You can't be voted on. You can only be enjoined. And that enjoining is based on God, if you will, adding to the church those that should be saved because they've obeyed the gospel. Based on the New Testament teaching. Boy, I wish I had time. This is the blood of the New Testament, which God hath enjoined unto you. No man can add you to the church. Only God can add you to the church. Amen. And that's why in Acts 2, we find that those scriptures in Acts 2, 47, God added to the church daily those that should be saved and thus that just should be saved. But don't forget about verse number 37 and following when he said, when he, they came unto Peter and said, what must we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sin. Amen. And then God added. Because see, to be baptized for the remission of your sin was based on you believing in the covenant. In Matthew, Mark rather, in Mark 16, 15 and 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Believe what? Believe the covenant. Believe the word of God. And through that belief, one presents themselves ready with that conscience. To be baptized for the remission of their sins. In verse number 21, Paul would say, moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. We have remission through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Now, verse number 23 is where I want to transition because here in verse number 23, we start talking about the, 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 the construct again. Paul gave a lot of details about the, 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 the sanctuary, and I wanted to make sure that the sanctuary was brought in so you can see that when we start talking about being present with God and being in his sanctuary, it is, it is not something that is separate and apart from what we know to be the ark, to be the tabernacle, and, to be, and, the, and the temple and the church because each of them in their own generation represented the place where God dwelled, which means that it was God's sanctuary in that then known time. Even as an emphasis, Matthew, I'm sorry, Hebrews 8 and verse number 1, 
as an emphasis here. Paul says, now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. If you didn't know by now that the sanctuary is God's church and the church is a sanctuary, now you know. Now you know. We come here. And it is such a blessing to be able to come and to give God the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips. It is such a blessing to be able to come. But we, the church, comes to worship. The church comes to worship. And when we are gathered together, we become God's sanctuary. And every broken heart and every soul that needs a blessing from God and needs grace from God and needs mercy from God is present in the Lord's sanctuary. And guess who's there waiting? It is God who's waiting to bless those souls. A lot of people may not think that they're worthy. But the fact that you come And you present yourself among God's people within his sanctuary. God sees you as worthy. Because it gives an indication that you have a spirit that is seeking salvation. Verse number 23. If there, it was therefore necessary that the patterns... The patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. But then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, wait a minute, since the foundation of the world. Since the foundation of the world. Paul takes us back. And said if it was the case that Jesus had to suffer over and over and over and over again. That suffering would have began from the foundation of the world. Because that's when man sinned in the beginning. Lord have mercy. But God built this spiritual church by giving us worldly examples, earthly examples, material examples, the ark, the tabernacle, the temple. They were just shadows of that which was to come. Which now, we're no longer in shadow. We are in the spiritual kingdom of God. Verse number 26. Once again, for then must he have often suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, had he appeared to put away a sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, 
but after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And they found favor. Nova found grace in the eyes of God. That's what favor is. He found grace in the eyes of God. Paul would say in Romans chapter 5 that, that, that we are fortunate to be uh, 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 in, the, in the church because he says it is, it is, it is now that we, we uh, uh, through that, we have, we have access into this grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. But the grace of God is not something that should be left to the abstract. It should be something that becomes practical. Because Noah, if you will remember, they had a conscience that was continually evil. But Noah was different. There was something different about Noah. And God said Noah found favor. Noah found grace. Noah became a preacher of righteousness. And through that preaching of God's covenant, through his word, others, his family were saved. But let me show you how this, ha how this works when it comes to the practical application. Because, see, you, you, you may start off in the world, but you don't stay, uh, if you will, uh, of the world when you come into the church. You may be in the world, but you're not of the world. Because you change. And you change what? You don't change physically. It's not like your, the, the, the wrinkles on your, on your face and your, on your hands and skin begin to somehow become smooth. Yes, you're still wrinkled. Because it's not about your body. It's about your conscience. It is your conscience that becomes new. When the old man is, if you will, when the, in Romans chapter 6, as we read last Lord's Day, when that sin, if you will, is, is, is now uh, uh, put away, because how can we continue in sin? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can those who've been made dead to sin live any longer therein? He's not talking about a physical death. He's talking about putting that spiritual old man to death. So you can arise and walk in the newness of life. Now, I know you got some television preachers talking about your hand looks new and your face looks new and they just lying to you. Still old wrinkle. What's new needs to be your conscience. And that's what God saved. It wasn't about Noah's body. It wasn't about the other's bodies. It was about their conscience. And if the conscience can be saved and the conscience can be renewed and your mind can be turned toward God, then the manifestation of your conscience will show forth through what you do, which is your body. And that's why Paul says presenting your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now let me ask you a question that may you have been, may have been pondering on for years to come. Where do you present your body as a living sacrifice? How do you present your bodies as a living sacrifice? It is in the sanctuary. Give him praise and to work on these graces that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. Because remember, these were the things that were absent 
during the antediluvian period, the time before the flood, when man continued to think wickedly. And not only wicked one day, but the text made it very clear, continually. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, as he writes to the churches of Galatia, he says, look, he gives us the understanding that the distinction between the spiritual and the flesh or the physical. I'm going to start at verse number 1. I'm going to close in this text. I'm going to close out here. But I'm going to start at verse number 1 in Galatians chapter 5. And Paul says something very powerful, and I, and, and I, and I pray that, that we can appreciate how Paul uh, you know, Paul, Paul was not a man that mints words. He, he, you know, Paul was direct about what he had to say. And surely the Holy Spirit made that possible. In Galatians 5 and verse number 1, Paul says, stand fast. Lord have mercy. See, Paul, Paul, <laughs> Paul said, I, I, I'll have time. I'll have time. Stand fast. Because people sometimes get distracted by all the calamities of life and we, 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 we lose our focus. Paul says, stand fast. We want to jump from here to there and there to here with every wind of doctrine because it may sound provocative or sound good and, 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 not, and, and, and miss the, the very essence of what it is that we need to know, which is if we don't have a relationship God with God based on his covenant, nobody can be saved. I don't care how big your building, physical building may be, or how beautiful you may make it look. That is not what God is coming to save. God is coming to save the soul. And so Paul says, stand fast. Therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has have made us free, and not be and not and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now remember, in Romans chapter six, Paul told us what that bondage is. The bondage was in sin. We were in bondage to sin. We were captive by sin. We've been made freed by that pattern, that form of doctrine that has freed us. Don't forget what we've talked about. In verse number two, he says, "Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall." Uh, uh, show uh, uh, profit you nothing. And he begins to show the distinction between uh, the, the Old Testament and the, uh, 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 the laws of, uh, of, of Judaism that required for individual men to be, sacri- uh, to be circumcised and, and, and through that, the physical circumcision, they thought that they were actually fulfilling that which was going to save their souls ultimately. But circumcision was a type of that which was to come. It wasn't about the, 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 the circumcision of the flesh that God was concerned about. In Romans, Paul said it's not about it's not he that is a Jew who is circumcised of the flesh but he is a Jew who is circumcised of the heart circumcision of the heart of the spiritual heart but he goes on and says look verse number three for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law Christ has come become of no effect unto you Whosoever you are justified by the law, ye have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit, we through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. What was Noah's occupation? He was a preacher of righteousness. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 19, we quote it all the time, but in that text it shows us that, 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 that Paul was letting us know that the ministry of reconciliation is about helping people be, uh, uh, become the righteousness of God in him. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, in verse number 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, the just shall live by faith. In Galatians 5 and 6, Paul would go on and say, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Was it not Jesus who said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. And if I run back to Genesis chapter 7, I'm not going to go there now, but you can just put it in your notes. Run back to Genesis chapter 7 and, and, and realize that one of the things that God loved so much about Noah, the Bible says that Noah did all that God commanded him to do. And Paul says, if you love me, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So by Noah doing all that God commanded him to do, it seems to me that, that in, you can infer from that at the very minimum, imply that Noah loved God because he kept his commandments. And God loved Noah. Verse number seven, Paul goes on and says, Ye did run well. Who did, who did hinder you that ye should, you should not obey the truth? This persuasion, this persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you, which is to say not of God, not of Christ. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would that they I would they were even cut off, which trouble you, for brethren. Ye have been called unto liberty, that is freedom, but not freedom in the sense of trying to go do whatever you want to do, but at freedom, freedom from what? Free from sin, free from that which is not, no longer or not according to God's word. You've been set at liberty to do what you should be doing, which is to serve righteousness. Romans chapter 6 is that text. But he goes on and says, look. Only use not liberty, that is freedom, for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit and Ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, how do we walk in the spirit? What does that mean? How do we make it practical? 
Well, Paul had to make it practical because just to say that walk in the spirit and you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh, it really doesn't mean anything. But when you start talking about how that is made practical, how does one, how does one begin to walk in the flesh? And walk in the flesh here is dealing with the idea of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a spiritual change, a, a change of, of conversation, a change of behavior, a change of how you manifest who you should be as a Christian in the world today. He says, if you walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the only way that you can walk in the spirit is by your conscience being influenced by the word of God. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which of these? Because see, some people would not want to understand. What does he mean, the works of the flesh? As I said, Paul is very direct. He doesn't mince words. And he begins to run down this list and surely context is king. Because when you're looking at the text, you have to understand what's happening in Galatia or the cities of Galatia. These are the things that Paul has witnessed or has been informed of. And he says, and these are the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variances, emulations, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings. And then he says, and such like. So these are the things that he enumerates so that people can be very clear as what he means by the lust of the flesh. After you've enumerated this, you can pretty much get a good idea of what he means by and such like. Because anything that is similar falls within this discussion as works of the flesh. Of which I tell you before, and as also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now remember, the kingdom of God is also the church. It is the body of Christ, the church of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 and 24, he's going to present unto himself the kingdom without having, if you will, a glorious kingdom so that God can be the father is, if you will, over all in all. Uh, if you will, uh, uh, Revelations 1 and 9, John would say, I'm your brother in tribulation and in the kingdom. In Matthew 16 and 18, he said, I'm going to give unto you, Peter, the keys to the kingdom, which is the church. He's letting us know that the church and the kingdom is one and the same. And so if you're not going to be in the kingdom, you're not going to be in the church. You're not going to be in the church. You're not going to be in the kingdom. And you're not going to be in the sanctuary. Because they represent the same thing. So God says, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. This is what God wants us to become. Because this is what was lacking in the antediluvian period. Individuals were more about the lust of the flesh than they were about the things of the spirit, which were the things of God. And, though you, and, and, and so you find Noah, who Peter, in, who God, through the Holy Spirit, makes sure that Noah is referenced 
in the New Testament. Noah's all the way back during the time of the flood. But God makes sure that Noah and those eight souls are referenced in the New Testament because he acknowledges that what he saved were, 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 were people who had the right conscience. That's what he put in the ark. Now, we talked about not once, once saved, not always saved. It, 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 one has a free will. We'll get to that later. But here we see the importance of the conscience, which is so deep, deeply rooted in, in the discussion about morality and, and uh, being devout, uh, if you will. Paul lets us know that the fruit of the Spirit are the graces that come into the life of man. And, 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 and by, by walking, if you will, uh, 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 in these things, it begins to define who we are outwardly. Morality is not based on just what you do. It's based on the source from which it comes. That is what makes the difference between those who are seeking God righteously and those who are seeking God through the flesh, right? Because if I'm seeking God through the flesh, I'm going to, stay with me, I'm closed. If I seek God through the flesh, I'm going to do those things that make me feel good. Oh, amen, when you can. I know it's heavy, but that's all right. When I seek God through the flesh, I'm going to do those things that make me feel good. Right? But if I seek God through the Spirit, I'm going to do those things that makes God feel good. And so, so David had it right in Psalm 96. I will sing songs of praise, not because it makes me feel good, but because it makes God feel good. And if God feels good, I should feel good about singing praises unto his name. Singing glory to his name. Singing about the strength that he has. Acknowledging that he is a God. He is the God above all gods. And beside him, there is no God. It should make me feel good because I'm making God feel good. I'm not going to change his worship because I want to see something different. What I'm going to try to do is master the worship he gave me. So he can see the praise and the honor and the glory. We've got this thing twisted. You don't come to worship to be entertained. You come to worship to serve God. Amen. We've got this stuff all, all backwards. But we need to get it right. Paul would end. In this passage of scripture in Galatians 5. And as he ends, so will I. Paul would say, if we live. 
in the spirit. Let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. This is about growing and growing spiritually. This is about overcoming the moral weaknesses that exists within the world today. Remember Romans chapter 8, Paul says, there is now therefore no condemnation to them who walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. It's about changing our life. It's about, it's about seeking those things which are spiritual. It's about letting us walk, letting us, let us live according to how God desires each of us to live. And let me tell you something. If more people, and I'm going to close here, and I'm going to close, and some of y'all might not, uh, I'm, I'm going to close anyway. But let me tell you something. If more people would have loved God than loving themselves, you wouldn't have what's going on in Ukraine today. Amen. You wouldn't. Because you would love one another. You would love one another. And there's only one true power that exists in the world today anyhow, and that's God's. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. If more people would love God more than themselves, we wouldn't have the challenges in the world today. If more people would love God more than themselves, we would have the manifestation of the one true church all over the world because we would be following after the one covenant that God gave. But see, it's not that way because people love their flesh more than they love the spirit. Noah's Ark, that we talk about so much in our children's bedtime stories, and people talk about Noah's Ark, and even, even um, these various institutions, they have the, the, the religious manifestation of their books, and, and they'll talk about Noah's Ark, and they'll, they'll, they'll always talk about the animals and, and, and how precious it is. It's, it, yeah, it, it, I guess you can talk about the animals and the zoo and, and all that stuff and, and how Noah, but see, they miss the essence of it. Because, see, the animals were there as a, as, a, as a resource for Noah and his family. God wasn't saving the animals to save the animals. He was saving the souls of the people. And those souls must come before God with righteousness. And you must come before God seeking righteousness. Matthew 6 and 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. You see, the resources were there for Noah and his family's use. But God was saving their souls. Because that's what he desired. Because that's what he desired. And so God desires your soul to be saved. The resources are his to give severally as he will. In Romans 10 and 17, he says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Noah had faith in what God said. And the Bible says he moved with fear, reverence, building the ark. 
Well, guess what? I pray that the word of God has been spoken in such a way where now your faith has increased and you're ready to move with reverent fear to obey the gospel before it's everlasting and eternally too late. Because as we read in Hebrews 9 and 27, it's appointed unto man once to die. Death is coming. The question is whether or not you're going to be saved. So Romans 10 and 17 says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's the water of those that diligently seek him. Luke 13, 3 and 5 says, I tell you, nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. But God doesn't want you to perish. Remember 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9, God says one day with him is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. But God is not slack concerning his promises. One, uh, some men count slackness, wishing none to perish, but that all should come unto repentance. In Acts 17, 30, God commandeth every man everywhere to repent. God wants you to be saved. He wants you to be saved. And then you confess Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. Romans 10 and 9, with the mouth we confess Christ Jesus. Romans 10 and 10, with the heart, with the conscience, man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. What is that confession? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. And he shed his blood, as we read in Hebrews 9, for the sins of the whole world. And so now we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. And that redemption is remission. And it's time for you to come. Go down to the water grave of baptism. Let the blood of Christ cleanse you from all of your past sins. And don't worry about the world, what the world is going to say. Because guess what? I can guarantee you this. After 55 years of life, they're going to say it anyway. Amen. So you might as well get your life right and be saved. And let them say it anyhow. But get your life right. Obey the gospel. Put yourself in a position where God sees you in the sanctuary. And when he comes back from heaven's glory, because he's coming again. He's coming again. There's a song we used to sing, be ready when he comes. For he's coming again soon. Now we don't know when he's coming, but he's already made a promise that he's going to come. In John 14, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I shall come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. The disciple asked him, Lord, how shall we know the way? He said, I am the way. The truth and the life. No man cometh unto the father. But by me. And so he said he's coming again. And there's one thing we know about God. Because God has told us it's impossible for him to lie. And so I know Jesus is coming again. And I pray you take this opportunity to obey the gospel. Be added to the church. Be added to the kingdom. Be a part of his sanctuary. So that when he does come, he can find you worthy, ready to take you home to heaven's glory. Why don't you come right now? If you stand and sing the invitational song, why don't you come? 904. 904. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully asleep in His graces? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are 
soul cleansing blood of the Lamb, of the Lamb, or your garment, spotless or the white. In the blood of the Lamb. Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul cleansing blood? Other land, are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Amen. 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 Church, let us know page 382, and at this time, let us prepare our hearts and our minds for communion. Why did my Savior come to earth and to the humble goal? Why did he choose a lowly bird? Because he loved me so he loved me so he loved me so 
Jesus gave his precious life for me, for me, because he loved me so. the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it and remember to me.